Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Lakaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 363 with Andy Hill. We are talking about earning more money, how it's done. Andy shares his own perspectives and stories and tips and tricks along the way. So you'll learn one, how to figure out when you should change companies. Two, tips to boost the trait that helps you get the pay bump. And three, the single best mental trick for saving money. So if you want to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F363. Now, here's Andy's story. Andy Hill is the host of the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast focused on helping families build legacy wealth. The podcast was nominated as Best New Personal Finance Podcast by Flutus in 2017. And outside of writing for his own weekly vlog of the same name, his personal finance-focused articles have been featured in Stand Magazine, Business Insider, AOL Finance, NerdWallet, and Rockstar Finance. When he's not talking money, Andy enjoys wrestling with his two kids and singing 80s karaoke with his wife. So big thanks to Andy for sharing some time with us. A big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Here is Andy. Andy, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Pete, thank you so much for having me, man. This is awesome. Oh, boy. Well, I've been looking forward to having this chat for a while. And I think I want to start where the conversation really needs to start, which is your role in an 80s cover band. Oh, you did dig deep, didn't you? Okay. <laughs> Shucks. Yeah, so in my 20s... Aren't you still in your 20s? You look so youthful and handsome. <laughs> That's just the picture I still have on there. It's totally 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, I just like to try random things every five or six years, just to kind of shake things up a little bit. So I had an opportunity uh, to go into an 80s cover band with a few of my friends. I was out at the bar drinking and having fun and doing karaoke, karaoke with one of my buddies and maybe he was drinking too much, but he, after we finished our, our little set there, he goes, Hey, you're not too bad. We should start an eighties cover band. And I was, uh, you know, three sheets to the wind or five sheets to the wind, whatever <laughs> you say. And I said, Oh yeah, let's do it. So he could play the guitar. I could sing kind of, and then we found a random dude on Craigslist that could play <laughs> the drums and we were all set, man. So we started booking, um, the local dive bars uh, after we practiced for about six months, learning all the, the great 80s songs, 90s songs. And man, I, honestly, Pete, it was probably one of the most fun things that I've ever done in my life. Getting up there, making a fool of yourself, having some fun with your friends. And we, we blew some of these uh, dive bars away because we'd get a, we'd get a slot booked at like 1am on a Wednesday night <laughs> and we would pack the place be like 45 people there. They're like, you can come back whenever you want. <laughs> they don't even care how we sounded, but uh, no, it was probably, uh, it was probably one of the best things I've ever done in my life, honestly. Oh, that is excellent. <laughs> well, you know, there really is just a thrill associated with performing and being in that groove. So that's really fun. So what was the name of the band? Oh, it was called Vermont Response. So uh, the street that we lived on was called Vermont. And it was sort of our response from living there. It's kind of lame, but it was fun. <laughs> mm. mm -hmm. And how would you characterize the message of that response? Oh, it was uh, epic, I would say. <laughs> uh, Mind-blowing and transformative. Uh, oh, oh. Talk about those for some uh, career awards for you. Oh, those are nice. Well, <laughs> speaking of uh, things that are epic, mind-blowing, and transformative, you've got a podcast that checks those boxes called Marriage, Kids, and Money. What's this show all about? 
So I, again, you know, in, in, in the spirit of trying random new things every so often, I started a podcast a couple of years ago because I wanted to um, start a conversation with young parents who want to build their wealth and give their families the best, the best life possible. Hey, that's me. Exactly. Exactly. You're a young father. You're got a nine month old and uh, you're married and you're, you're, you're looking at building your wealth. So you're, you're my exact demographic, my friend. So, <laughs> but no, yeah, I wanted to start that conversation and uh, gather some like-minded individuals who want to figure out how to grow their wealth. But also it's an opportunity for me to interview some really smart people who are millionaires, entrepreneurs that are doing so great by their family. And I get to um, share all those um, incredible nuggets with everybody who's listening. So it's been a it's been a real treat for me, and the the podcast has had some good growth over the past couple of years. Oh, excellent! Well, kudos and congratulations, and thank you for inviting me on the show. That was a good time. What really kind of caught my eye about you in the show is when we met back at Podcast Movement over in Philadelphia. You had a few specific things you did that uh, bumped up your income in the course of doing some smart career planning and maneuvering, and so I thought. This is perfect because that's one of the things my listeners are into is making some more money from being awesome at their jobs. So can you lay it out for us? Sort of what's your story and how'd you do it? Yeah. So I've been uh, in the experiential marketing world for about 15 years. So experiential marketing, just so you know, it's anything that's uh, in-person manifested marketing for a brand. So instead of like a TV commercial or an online ad, this is the stuff you'd see in person and, you know, call it like a conference or a trade show or or a business meeting. That's the st- type of stuff that I've been doing for the past 15 years. So uh, within that industry, um, I've had an opportunity to grow my salary uh, in three key moments throughout my career. And I thought that would be kind of fun to share with your listeners today. Oh, please do. So a time in my, again, in my, my late 20s, and I'm, I'm very glad that you think I'm, I'm still in my 20s. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, I had the opportunity to go from manager to director. So this was a promotion opportunity within the company that I was in. And there was a position that was open. Uh, it had been vacated by somebody who was um, not on the team anymore. And um, I was in a more sort of junior role, but I had developed a good reputation, you know, kind of working, going above and beyond my expectations, both with my clients as well as my management. So when that opportunity arose, I jumped at it. I expressed my interest. I set aside a time to speak with the president of the company and tell them why I would be a good fit. Um, all the things that I had done up to that point, my experience with the client, and this was a coveted position at the time. So I wanted to do my best and put my best foot forward for it. So I applied. I went through an, uh, a review process, an interview process, and I got the job. And with that, uh, since I was a young whippersnapper, I didn't think that they were going to probably give me the the dollars that uh, I, I thought that um, were, were required for the position because I I had an idea of what the person who was uh, in the position before was making. So I made a suggestion on salary. And they met me in the middle, um, but uh, it was essentially a 46% increase in my salary, which um, when you're not making a lot, you know, that uh, call it like a 3% increase can be very little. So if you get the opportunity to go from a manager to a director position, understand and what I did is I, I tried to understand the landscape of what an, a director was making in that position 
and I made the request for that uh, salary increase, knowing the responsibilities that were going to be associated with it, the hours that were going to be associated with it, the travel that was going to be associated with it, and uh, I was able to get that increase. So that was the the first bump up that I had uh, within my within my first company at the same company. Okay, very cool. Well, so then let's sort of dig into the magic behind it. Then so. I guess you already had some good foundational points to work with in terms of you had already been proactively over delivering for clients and for management. And then when you saw the opportunity, you know, you didn't just sort of like click, click, apply, you know, you went after it with some gusto in terms of talking to the president of the company. So you're very interested in it and making your case. And then we also did some proactive research in terms of getting after, you know, what is the number so that you can proactively suggest it and do some anchoring as opposed to letting them just sort of do what they care to do with that number. Absolutely. And I think that since I was my best cheerleader, (laughs) I know that sometimes the companies uh, are doing their best to make as much money as possible. And yes, give fair raises or fair, you know, increases in salary, but you have to be your own advocate. So I, I, I was in that, in that case, and that really helped. Mm -hmm. All right. Excellent. Cool. All right. So that was one good move and you had a couple more. Yeah, so a couple of years later, uh, so that was 2010 when that happened. In 2013, about three years later, I had the opportunity to go from one company to another. So this is another opportunity when you can make more money in your career, right? So I was um, very, very active on LinkedIn. So when I say active, I mean I, I consistently shared, you know, uh, information about my industry, information about my company. I constantly updated my profile based on. Uh, experience that I had, awards that we were able to win as a company, and my volunteer efforts, things like that. So I wanted to be out there and and uh, create conversations. So we were talking sharing like every day, or, or what kind of frequency we talk about here? I typically do about two times per week. Okay. And I've read some articles. I think HubSpot recommends uh, no more than five times per week, just because it gets a little bit. Um, uh, overdone. And it also, based on link, LinkedIn's algorithm, it, it touches quite a bit of your your network uh, between that two to five number per week. So mm-hmm. um, usually I take an opportunity to talk about my company services or my business accomplishments, things like that, uh, that, that, that are relevant to keep people in the know about what's going on, what's going on with Andy, what's going on with my company. And that helps, um, you know, keep the keep the information going. And you're in your world of experiential marketing, you are in a sales or business development function? Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, another reason for me to um, put put ourselves out there, I'm gonna put my company out there because we are constantly trying to earn new business. And so that's a, a big part of my role. Mm-hmm. Okay. Understood. So you're rocking the LinkedIn and then what happens? So I get uh, contacted by a recruiter and I really wasn't actually looking to make a shift at that point because I was pretty happy with my role. We were uh, was doing pretty well in it and, and growing the business. But um, I took the call anyway because I was interested in understanding sort of you know, what am I worth out there? Or what, what, what other opportunities are there out there? Because it's, it's not bad to make a change every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got an offer from uh, a competing company. Um, I was at maybe, maybe like a 30 or 40 a person company. And then the company that I was offering me the job was it's essentially the largest one, uh, largest experiential company in the world. So I said, oh yeah, I'll, I'll take that conversation. I'll take that call. Um, and through that conversation uh, and the negotiations that uh, went forward, I had the opportunity to make about 25% more than what I was making at that point. Mm-hmm. And luckily at that same time, 
I got two other offers on LinkedIn <laughs> at the same time. So I essentially had three offers in front of me at one point on one weekend when I could review them with my family and make a decision that would, uh, you know, obviously impact uh, where we would go as a family, but also our, our income level. So based on reviewing those three offers, um, I decided to go with the original offer because I was very excited about that company working with the industry leader. Um, and, uh, at that point I let the other two companies know, one of them said, congratulations, good luck. We could never pay you that. <laughs> and the other said, we'll match it, uh, come over with us. And at that point I had a decision to make, but I again, stayed with the original offer because I was excited about working with that company. So, um, I would like to say that, uh, being active on LinkedIn and spending a lot of time on there and making my making my profile well-known helped me to get those three offers at one time because those were all uh, not me seeking them. They were inbound, you know, uh, offers uh, from from recruiters. So that really helped me to jump up another 25%. That's cool. And so in the LinkedIn game, I mean, do you have any tips in terms of when it comes to the content that you're sharing? I mean, you can do that well, you can do that poorly, (laughs) you know, any pro tips on how do you find and determine, ah, yes, this is worthy of my imprimatur, <laughs> my sharing of this, you know, broadly? Well, I think uh, if you want to make it, um, I try to make it industry specific, you know, specific to my to my uh, company or specific to the industry that I'm in to start to create conversations around that area. I might not be an influencer in experiential marketing, but I at least want to start some conversations that um, that create that type of uh, environment there. Mm-hmm. And with that, uh, I've started some conversations. I've asked some probing questions, you know, uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts around this area? And it starts to get engagement from, uh, people who are at least, uh, partners in the industry or potential clients. And there's a lot more people that are engaged on social media than ever before. So you'd be surprised at how much engagement you can actually get from, from those types of connections. So, I, I don't have hundreds of thousands of connections on there. I've got maybe 2,500. But over the years, that's really helped me to expand my network, expand conversations, and then really do outreach both on a sales, pla- um, uh, sales platform as well as just opportunities like this to get a new job. That's cool. And, and could you share an example of a probing question in terms of, because I'm wondering, I don't know what like the hottest, most controversial topic, you know, might be, or if that's something that you shy away from or something that you go for, like, yeah, this will get them lathered up. Well, I still feel like LinkedIn is like, um, like being in the office, Mm -hmm. right? You might not say things that you would say on Twitter that you'd say on LinkedIn or on Facebook that you'd say on LinkedIn. I like to, I like to think of LinkedIn, like I'm, like I'm having conversations within, within the office. So I steer clear of, political conversations, you know, religious conversations, anything that might steer people in the wrong directions. But as far as a probing question, we have a, one of our clients is uh, Ally Bank. And I just posted something today about, um, you know, they had a celebration yesterday for online savings day as essentially a, a holiday that they created on, uh, on Monday. So I, I, I threw out a probing question based on one of the articles that um, they had been a part of. Uh, do you think that you could go all online and not have a brick and mortar bank. So having conversations like that not only helps to promote my client, but it also starts to create conversations and a little conversation started to happen out of it. Um, So people understand who my client is, what we're talking about within our industry, and then discussions start to be um, start to happen. Oh, understood. That's just a little example. Okay. Well, so in a way, I mean, that has a, when I mentioned controversy, you know, 
Certainly, we're not going to go. <laughs> Do you think Trump sucks? Right, <laughs> why exactly. or why not? Yeah. There's some of that happening on there, unfortunately. That so. would be ill-advised, I think, as a career pointer, I'd suggest, because <laughs> you're going to infuriate half the people that you're, exactly. that you're engaging with. So there's that. But I guess that's a nice example, because I guess that could be a little bit, I don't know if touchy is the right word, but, you know, hey, if it's a purely online-only bank then well, they're hoping the answer for everybody is yes. Exactly. But not everyone does have that opinion. So in a way that makes it kind of spicy, kind of interesting, like, oh, okay. It's more, I guess, real instead of, you know, the polished branded advertisement messaging in terms of, hey, we're gonna have a real conversation in terms of, yeah, there's some pros and cons about moving in this direction. And uh, let's hear what people think. Absolutely. It's fun to see the conversations being facilitated. Sometimes, you know, it's just like a a video or a, an article say, hey, here's something that our company wrote or just you're, or you just like wrote that you just post the article. And that doesn't really start any conversation or facilitate any conversation. So I like to ask some questions like that that are a little bit more engaging. Mm-hmm. Okay, very cool. And so in so doing, you meet some new people and they think, oh, this Andy guy is pretty sharp. He seems to be plugged into the right stuff. And over time, that sort of makes people think of you when they got an opportunity to dole out. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've even had people reach out to me that ask me to post something on our company's behalf as opposed to our company, just based on the engagement that I've had uh, on LinkedIn, too. So it, it's it pays. I mean, it, it, it shows and that uh, gives the opportunity to continue to expand conversations. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. But do you have any other quick do's and don'ts for LinkedIn? Um, no, I think we covered it. All right. Very good. Well, so then there's a third step in your rise to wealth. And what was it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we touched on, uh, you know, the opportunity to get a promotion within your current role and then moving from one company to another. And then the last one is just getting a salary increase in your same role at your current company. And that's what I was able to do recently as well. So, you know, the the steps that I took to make this happen, um, especially when you get up to a director role and, and you continue to have more responsibility and they expect more out of you for the increased pay. Uh, I wanted to not only uh, request the additional uh, salary increase, but I had to show that I was worth it. So for the for the couple of years prior to that, uh, I worked on exceeding all of my goals um, and making sure that they were measurable because sometimes it's hard to go in and ask for more money if you can't show how you measurably made change within the organization. Mm-hmm. So with that armed information, I, I had that actually written down specifically what accomplishments, uh, or what expectations were asked of me, how I exceeded those, and how I did that consistently year over year. So I uh, included that not only in a, an email, but also in a written letter that I uh, in person supplied to my supervisor, and then also verbally um, uh, you know, shared those uh, expectations and accomplishments. And had that meeting face to face and did it with confidence and because I was because I was proud of what I had done. And when you're able to sit down there and share what you feel like you deserve um, based on some research that you could do with maybe on Glassdoor or some conversations with, you know, people who are in your position, maybe at other companies or, if, you know, maybe some people you're really close with at your company to get an understanding of what the going rate is for your role. And so you're not asking for something ridiculous. I uh, was able to go in there and have some, you know, a good conversation, uh, supervisor to subordinate on what was uh, fair for my role. And uh, based on that conversation and the detail, I had asked for 10%. 
I got 8%, which was totally fine because I was happy with 8%. So as you can see, as the, as the rolls continue, you know, the percentage increase decreases just based on um, where you are and as your salary level increases. At least it has in my case. I'm very happy with that, uh, that increase though recently. Mm-hmm. So those are the three ways that I've increased my salary over the years, you know, originally being in the five-figure range to now the six-figure range uh, from moving internally with promotion from going one company to another, and then uh, just asking for a straight up salary increase in the same role. Well, that's really cool. And so then for the request of the salary increase in the same role, it seems like it was very clear what you were doing, you know, in terms of there was some advance notice in terms of, you know, hey, here's the letter, and I want to set up this meeting. And then away you went. Is that right? Right, exactly. I mean, Catching the supervisor off guard maybe is um, some, something I, I, I didn't want to do. So I'd sent the email beforehand, um, had a phone call with the person just saying, hey, this is a meeting that I'd like to set up with you and discuss further so that they had time to think about it. And then obviously, as the meeting concluded, it wasn't like, yes, here you go. You know, there's some time for the supervisor to consider it and think about it and then, you know, speak to their um, senior management about it and then go from there. So uh, having some patience with the process and understanding that it might take a little bit of time is uh, definitely suggested. I like your point about the patience with the process. And I'm thinking about a listener who shared a story in which, you know, she's asked a few times for a raise or a title shift because of, you know, generating some outstanding results with regard to acquiring funds for the organization. And it's really weird because the response seems to be like, you know, yeah, we really appreciate all your contributions. These are really great results. And yeah, we're very excited. It's important. And da, 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 you know, but, you know, because of, you know, this upcoming reorganization Mm -hmm. or, you know, the way the budget is established, it, 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 it always seems like there seems to be a force outside of strictly, you know, meritocracy and results generated that seems to slow it down. And I don't know if you got any pro tips for, for how do you handle that one and when do you say is enough is enough and you start looking elsewhere? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think for that person, I would, if it were me, I would uh, really analyze how much do I really like where I'm working? If I really like where I'm working and you know a, a raise would make me feel much better about where I'm working, that's okay. But Making a, making a jump to a new company, you got to think about a lot of other things besides just salary. Mm-hmm. You got to think about your commute. You know, is it shorter? Is it longer? What are the benefits that are associated with my role? Is there is there a flexibility with my schedule right now in the company that I'm in? And then the one I have to go to, I have to kind of go crazy 10 to 12 hours days just to prove my worth in the beginning. You know, who's my supervisor going to be? What's the work environment like? There's lots of other factors besides salary if you were to move to another company. I'm not saying that you shouldn't, um, but I would say do it for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. If you feel like you are kicking major butt and then you are not getting getting the the money that you feel like you deserve and, and comparing that to some stuff on Glassdoor, maybe some conversations with other people who are in your role, that it can't hurt to look. We're in a good economy. Start some conversations. The worst, I mean, a, a great thing to do is just even just take some calls from recruiters or have some conversations to build up your confidence being being like, yeah, you know what? I, I am worth this. I'm, I'm, I'm marketable out there for this rate and my, my company's not giving it to me. So I don't know, maybe it's some internal conversations to say, how much do I really like working here? And if you really like working there outside of, you know, some of the salary type situations, salary conversations, it's something to something to consider. All right. Excellent. 
Well, so Andy, you shared a number of cool fundamentals associated with your three steps to higher compensation at work. Are there additional principles and tactics that you recommend, you've heard, you've seen effective for others in practice that folks should tackle if they're looking to bump up their pay at work? I think a lot of it before you ask for that money or before you take that next um, jump is, you know, a couple things. I think you just have to establish credibility. You got to be somebody that, you know, people can rely on, you know, your reputation really matters in the workplace. So if you if you've developed a reputation for somebody who says they're going to get something done and they do it well and they do it above and beyond, that's a great place to to be as an employee because people are going to have that. I mean, especially whatever industry you are, sometimes it's smaller than you think it is. People know who you are at different companies. People are aware of who you are within your large organization for being a leader. So going above and beyond your job description, being reliable, I think those are great ways to, you know, not only just to live personally, but also just to, you know, uh, set yourself up for those raises and salary bumps. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, so we talked about the earning more money side of things. I'd love to get some of your pro tips on the saving side. Sure, absolutely. So, I mean, with regard to with regard to being an employee, there are so many great opportunities to save for your future at um, at your workplace. So, the great place to start, and it's something that I ignored immediately when I was in my twenties, is your office place four hundred one k. So, taking advantage of any match that might exist from your employer with 401k um, and also taking advantage just comp advantage of compound interest as early as possible so for those folks that haven't signed up for their 401k you got to start as early as possible and take advantage of that growth because over time the more you put in it the the more it grows so taking advantage of the 401k is a great way to go some companies have an hsa program health savings account and this is also another uh sort of a stealth way to save for your retirement as well but it also is a great savings vehicle to help protect you in case of any health emergencies as sort of a savings backup as well outside of those two routes um an ira maybe a Roth IRA or traditional IRA, depending on your income level, are great ways to save for retirement. And then outside of that, if you need to trick yourself to save a little bit of money just in a savings account, you can also work with your employer to divert some of your your salary straight into a savings account. So you're building up an emergency fund, so emergencies turn into inconveniences. Yeah, that's great. It's amazing how that works in terms of your mindset, in terms of, okay, this is the money I have available. You know, because it's the money that I see in the account that's in front of me or that I've logged into. And I remember at Bain, where I was working previously there, it was so funny how this would happen again and again. You had the option to divert a portion of your paycheck into the travel fund. So Mm. you could have pre-tax dollars funding your, here in Chicago, the Chicago Transit Authority CTA card to ride the L, elevated line, or bus. So so that's kind of cool. Like, all right, well, sure, you know, if we're commuting with the train into work, why not use pre-tax dollars, you know, save, you know, 30 plus percent. That's like a good move. So that, (laughs) but what was so funny was because it was so easy to forget about and people often for one reason or another didn't use it because they were traveling, you know, out of town for, you know, a week here or there. Or they ended up taking a taxi, this was back in the day, or, mm-hmm. or something into work, you know, given certain circumstances or working from home, whatever. 
it would just pile up such that, you know, <laughs> two years, three years later, when these employees are headed off to business school, they would have these epic <laughs> transit account balances <laughs> and they would like sell it at a discount. Like, hey, I'm off to Harvard Business School. Um, anybody want $800 of credit for the CTA? Um, selling it at a discount, you know, let the bidding begin, the auctioning. And it was, it just kind of cracked me up. I was like, that is the power of money quietly just being siphoned away that you don't even see or think about until you open up the account a couple of days before you got to move. Well, think about that CTA example with a 401k then. Yeah. So it's quietly going in there, but it's going to build compound interest. So that $800 is going to be, I don't know, it's going to be a lot more than what you had. So CTA example, yeah, that's, you know, that would, that's probably not, <laughs> that's probably not the best, but definitely do your 401k. <laughs> I guess what was so kicking or, I don't know if that's the word, it was just so striking and surprising was how again and again and again, folks were like surprised that this happened. <laughs> like, whoa, there's a lot of money in there. Oh, it used to be like an eBay store for uh, you know? the CTA cards. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, you know, I did buy one, but then uh, go figure, I didn't manage to use it all. <laughs> that's so funny. Well, that's cool. But any other sort of ninja tactics or tricks when it comes to saving the money? One way, great, out of sight, out of mind. That's a good one. Anything else come to mind? Yeah, I mean, I love the automation side of things. If you can trick yourself into thinking that... Um, you know, you, you don't actually have that money coming into your account. You can't spend it. I think that's just a great way to um, trick yourself into saving money, both for your retirement as well as uh, as well as for an emergency. And I think, you know, a lot of times, um, if you have that money built up in your retirement, you have that money built up in your emergency fund or just general savings. It gives you more confidence at work. You know, it gives you a little bit more pride walking around. You don't feel as timid to maybe ask for for a raise or ask for what you feel like you're you're worthwhile um, or what you're worth. So I think there's sort of an intrinsic pride that comes in there with um, you know, having your money situation uh set. It also allows you to, you know, ask for some things you need, for some things you think you deserve and gives you that confidence to walk around the office like uh like you deserve it. I think that's really powerful. And I've been reflecting on the work of Chase Hughes, who I hope to have on the show shortly. He talking about those very things. It's like when you've got kind of control over your environment, your time, your appearance, your finances, you just sort of naturally have this extra, you know, confidence and status and sort of just ready to go-ness kind of with you everywhere you go, whether you're asking for more money or for a date or for whatever you're seeking. I agree. And I think your employer sees that too. They want to work with confident people, especially if you're in front of clients. They want to, they want, they want to put their best people forward. So have that confidence and uh, yeah, take care of your money. Mm -hmm. Well, I also want to get your take on, so hey, your podcast is called Marriage, Kids and Money. We've talked only about money, but <laughs> I want to hit the marriage and kid part there for a bit. So Boy, this is a tricky one, and I don't know if anyone has the foolproof answer, but <laughs> the challenge associated with what some call work-life balance and others call work-life integration, you know, can be that, you know, folks feel this guilt associated with, boy, you know, I, when I leave work, maybe it's at a reasonable hour, maybe it's early, maybe it's late, you know, I feel guilty, like I'm letting down my boss or my colleagues, but you don't need to be there for my family. But it's like, oh, but you know, would I have to work more at the office and I'm away from family, then I feel like I'm letting them down. And so it's like we're committed to two important things. And some people are plagued by guilt. They're abandoning one of them. What's your take on navigating this beast? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a tough one. I think a couple things, maybe just um, 
one thing that pops up to my mind is just setting expectations, both, both for your family as well as your workplace. So there are times that my wife understands that, hey, work is going to be nuts this week. I'm going to be traveling out of town. I'm going to be traveling globally. I'm going to be working till midnight. If I set those expectations up beforehand, uh, there's less, less family strife at home. Uh, now, if you're working at work until midnight every night, uh, you know, with a regular salary job, that's a different scenario. That's, that's maybe a conversation with your supervisor or a lifestyle change or, or, or job change. But I think if you spec, ex- set expectations with your family when those tough times happen, the, the conversations can be a bit easier. The same thing can happen with your employer. Setting expectations with them about when you're available, how you're going to be able to work. And yes, maybe this is more just how you roll, but some things that I've done, you know, when I, when I get home on Friday at 5 p.m., I've, I've tried to do this as a practice for the past couple of years. I turn my phone off. I turn my email off because I want to focus on my family. You know, and that, that can be different for everybody else, but the place that I've chosen to work um, is good with that. They're okay with that. And yes, sometimes there's things that happen that uh, require my attention over the weekend, but uh, 90% of the time, 95% of the time, it's a, it's a practice that's uh, appreciated you know, from other people that I work with, my supervisors. I'm actually very proud, too, to work for a company, uh, to work for a supervisor that is a family man that understands the things that I'm going through. You know, uh, it's, uh, I've, I've worked in the past and there's nothing wrong with, with, uh, you know, people in different situations, but I've worked with people in the past that are, um, you know, uh, single and they live for their work, right? They, they work 80 hours a week and that's all they can think about. And they can't understand why people need anything else. I don't strive well in work environments like that. Mm-hmm. I like working with people who have a family that have hobbies, that have things outside of their, of their work life in order to be a fulfilling individual, you know, to, to have something else. And that's where I, stri- that's where I thrive. And I think that's actually a, a, a good thing for, for offices. That's where creativity comes from. If you're not just on, you know, an email all the time or, or your nose, nose in, um, you know, in work, if you go out, you spend time with your family, you, you experience culture, you experience music, different types of things that you can bring into your work life that actually excite clients or excite, um, the individual, uh, projects that you're working on. I, I think that's, I think that's a good thing. So I think setting expectations with your family, Setting expectations with your workplace is a great place to start. Mm, yeah, very well said. And that's just kind of good to note in terms of, I remember one listener mentioned my boss and my boss's boss and my boss's boss's boss. None of them have kids. <laughs> yeah. And I do. And I could kind of see that there's a disconnect. Now, not to say that, of course, you must have the same kind of you know life priorities and station in life in order to connect and resonate and understand and be flexible. But it does kind of make you think in terms of, okay, are we aligned on this point? And if not, are you cool, you know, with this being a priority for me when it's not for you? Right, exactly. Especially for, I I understand you have, you know, a good female contingent that listens to your show. There's going to be some time where you are, if if you want to have children, that your life is not going to be very close to uh, somebody that doesn't decide to have kids. You know, having having a baby, being uh, going through, um, you know, the three months after having a baby, all the things that go through your life physically and emotionally. I, I, I feel like it's a it's a great opportunity to work at a place where you have people that understand your your situation. And yes, it can't be you know a quick change to to switch jobs, but 
thinking about that and and then putting yourself in the shoes of your employer are they are they somebody that understands your situation do they do they have a wife uh, in that situation did they or did they have kids um, I, I think it's it's something to something to note for sure mm-hmm. very cool well Andy tell me anything else you want to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things I think you did a great job man oh sure <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> well now could you tell us a favorite quote something you find inspiring absolutely yeah one that I like. Uh, is from Benjamin Franklin called, uh, it's uh, Diligence is the Mother of Good Luck. And I think this kind of talks about a little bit what we talked about today. I, I think we can we can hope and pray for good things. We can hope and pray for good fortune to come our way. But, you know, we, we have to put the work into it. We got to put the action into it. We have to, we have to fail. We got to do some trial and error to get where we need to go. But you have to put action to it. So I like that quote a lot. I end, end a lot of my shows with the, with the quote Carpe Diem too. It's all about action. You, what can we do to take action today to have our best life? So that's one of my favorite quotes. Mm-hmm. And can you share a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research? Yeah, so yeah, I, I don't have a lot of experiments, studies, or pieces of research that, that fit into a lot of what I've done at work. But one thing that I I, I read about from uh, Scientific American, which is um, a, a cool article that kind of kind of got me jacked up about fatherhood. There's this magic moment uh, when expectant fathers uh, see that mid mid pregnancy ultrasound for the first time, and, and instead of cuddling or fe- thinking of cuddling or feeding the baby, that the dad's bra- the dad's brains they go straight to what can I do to provide the future needs of this child? No kidding. What can I do to save for their college? What can I do to help them with the with their future wedding? And this was this is a, a research study by the University of Wisconsin. I, I thought that was super interesting because that's what happened to me. A lot of this. A lot of this uh, drive to increase my salary or, um, you know, to, to take care of my money all happened around the time that I found out I was going to be a father. And I kind of just, I kind of went nuts on it. I kind of went, okay, wow, I need to protect my family. I need to go into Papa Bear protection mode. And I guess there's some science around it. So I, I kind of thought that was interesting to share. Well, you know, that really is interesting. And I remember the very day my wife told me that we we're pregnant and, um, you know, it's on video. <laughs> I sort of figured something was up when she was videotaping me, <laughs> opening a little gift bag uh, with a pregnancy test in it. Oh, I love it. That's um, cool. At first it was like, oh, wow, you know, tears and joy and excitement and gratitude and wow. And then, you know, just moments afterwards, it was like, we got to buy this house. <laughs> it was It was like, I'm on video saying this. And so it's dead on. It was like, we can't keep frittering away $2,000 a month on this absurd rent. Yep. We're going to buy a multi-family home and get our tenants to pay the mortgage for us. There you go. Which you pulled off and it's been quite pleasant. I, I recommend that strategy as one option for folks. That's awesome. Yeah. So you went into straight like, hey, what can I do to protect my family? Yeah. I want to give them the best. That's awesome. Man. Uh, we were kind of, you know, going to some showings here and there. I was like, no, no, this isn't like, a, <laughs> you know, a hobby anymore. <laughs> we need the nest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how about a favorite book? Uh, yeah, I would say for my career, I would say one book that I read early on that I refer back to every once in a while is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. It's a mm-hmm. 100-year-old book, and I love the advice. It's still super applicable to everyday life and my work life. It just has some very simple nuggets that can help you get by with um, with everything they do you do, especially in an office environment. I try to do my best to smile. I try to do my best to remember people's names. You know, even even just at the the local store, if you see somebody's name tag, just saying their name, 
Everybody loves hearing their name, right? So you can do that in work. Mm-hmm. Makes people feel good. Going out of my way to give thanks and appreciation to, to people. We have an opportunity at our office where we can essentially do like a shout out for somebody who's done something really great at our office. And we get the opportunity to fill out this form and they get a they get a, an award for it. I love being somebody that goes super detailed in that form and then uh, hoping uh, one of my colleagues gets the award. And luckily, I've I've been a part of, I think, three awards that have been given out because of the responses that I've given. And I love that. I love being able to give thanks and appreciation for people that, you know, that I work with and that work really hard. So a lot of those principles that came from that book, I still uh, apply in my everyday life. Oh, awesome. Thank you. And how about a favorite tool? Favorite tool. So there's a couple of them right now. I, I'm a, I'm big into uh, I'm big into apps lately. So I like mm-hmm. this one called Forest. Um, it's essentially a productivity app. So I I get a little bit of um, uh, cell phone uh, crazy sometimes, where I'll go on Twitter or Facebook or something like that. And if I really need to focus, I put on Forest, and it essentially uh, gives you a timer on there. And if you say, Hey, I need to focus for two hours, you set the two hour timer, and then the app will not let you do anything else on your phone uh, unless um, it essentially is growing a tree over those two hours. So if you decide to go outside of the app, then you kill the tree. So don't kill the tree. You got to keep being productive, get your work done. So that's helped me to sort of stay focused and not look at um, other things outside of uh, outside of work. <laughs> so some other things I set some daily reminders in my Outlook. This is not really super techy, but I use Outlook like crazy. So all the things that I need to do during the week, I set some daily reminders to get them done. So those are dictating my day instead of email dictating my day. Because sometimes you go super deep into email and then you don't leave email hell until whatever, 7 p.m. And you're like, I didn't get any of the things that I was supposed to get done today. So I use those Outlook reminders as sort of my reminder of what I need to do every single day. Mm -hmm. And how about a favorite habit? I guess I would say, um, you know, just generally effective time management. So my, my, my colleagues and my superiors know that they can always rely on me because I'm... I manage my time well, and I, I I think that I've gained their trust and their partnership because I can manage my time well. So I, I guess short and simple, time management. Mm-hmm. And, and what are some of your practices in time management that make the difference? Yeah, I would say uh, getting a clear understanding of what I need to do each day in order to get it done right. So one, one practice that I've been doing that I actually um, got from Kurt Steinhorst, who wrote the book, uh, Can I Have Your Attention? He said, at the beginning of each each day, write down three things on a board or on a piece of paper that you have to get done today. Three things. It doesn't sound like a lot, but with all the distractions that we have at work, the pop-in meetings, somebody will open your door, hey, do you have a second? Or all the emails that come by, as long as you know I need to get these three important things done today because people are relying on me, that's just one simple practice that I do daily that helps me uh, have, a, have a complete day. Mm-hmm. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks and gets them quoting it back to you? Uh, I would say so with with the podcast, again, I, I end each show with the the saying carpe diem. And um, that is something that the, the listeners of the show uh, and also some people in my life have, um, you know, en- enjoyed from me. So I guess that would be something that um, I share because, you know, without action, we're not moving forward, right? Seize mm-hmm. the day and take advantage of it. Very good. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? Yeah, uh, check me out at uh, marriagekidsandmoney.com. I've got a website there as well as a podcast you can find on any major podcast player by the same name, Marriage, Kids, and Money. Mm-hmm. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks who are seeking to be awesome at their jobs? 
Well, I guess it would come from some of our conversations today, Pete. Uh, I would say if you, for a fact, know that you're exceeding expectations, you can prove it, and you feel like you deserve a raise or a promotion, go for it. I mean, yes, definitely look up the comparable salary on salary, uh, on Glassdoor.com. Um, have some conversations with colleagues that are in the in a similar area. Find that fair number that you feel you deserve and outline your accomplishments. Sit down with your manager and discuss it, but uh, do it with confidence because if, if you feel like you deserve it and you've earned it, you should be able to do it with confidence and pride because you, you deserve it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, Andy, this has been a whole lot of fun. Uh, I wish you all the best. Rocking and rolling with experience marketing and all you're up to. Thank you very much, Pete. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate Andy's bold suggestion to have the conversation about how much are you making, how much am I making, and just think through how you can do that diplomatically, appropriately, read the room and get the vibe right. Because if you can get that information, it can be oh so empowering, which reminds me of the Adam Ruins Everything clip for everyone announces, proclaims what their compensation is, and as a result, they're better able to understand what's the fair rate and, and to negotiate appropriately. So figure out how to do that appropriately, and you may be very enriched by having that knowledge. And I'm going to put a link to that clip in the show notes here. So again, those show notes are found at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F363. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe to hear from our next guest. It is Tanya Dalton. She's talking about the productivity paradox, conquering overwhelm, how it's done. Until next time, peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.